Okay, real quick, if you're a business owner that wants to stand out in the market and expand your custom base, I'd love to send you a copy of my free ebook. Visit our website at danielleclark.uk to get your copy now or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to Build Better Brands. I'm Danielle Clark and this show is here to provide insights, techniques and strategies to help you establish a better brand with confidence and clarity. We're on a mission to help as many people as possible start and build stronger brands so they can create happier, healthier lives for themselves and those around them. Welcome to another episode of Build Better Brands. Today, I am super excited to speak to our guest. Our guest is called, his name is Ezekiel Abramsum, and he's a brand consultant currently based in Madrid, um, having worked as a senior executive for Disney. And Ezekiel has founded um, Lalo, which is a consultancy with a modern approach to brand strategy. And Ezekiel is helping to take startups to the next level. So welcome to the show, Ezekiel. Thank you for having me, Danielle. I love it. I love it. I, I love your show. I love your conversations, the questions you ask the vibe you bring to to those chats so so i'd love to be here oh thank you so much so kind of you to say so i'm i'm really excited to talk to you because like so many people across the world right i love disney and i remember being on a call and finding out that you used to work for disney and i was just like wow i really really want to talk to this guy because that is often a, a dream that people have when we think about some of those big brands that have been in our lives for a long, long time you know disney's right there at, at the start with their films so i'd love to just just sort of touch on that really when when you work there and then that transition to to lalo was that always the plan? How how did this come about? I was always a fan of Disney since I was since I have a memory, and I always I always thought that I would I would work for Disney somehow. And uh, the dream came true. I ended up working at Disney, being an Argentinian in a Buenos Aires office, in the bottom of the world. And uh, and I actually remember having been verbal about working for Disney uh, since I was a kid. Teachers in, the, in high school told me, hey, you end up working at Disney. You told me about that uh, in, in your first year at high school. And I believe that I'm really lucky. But over the years, I learned that I wasn't lucky. I, was, I, I worked really hard since I was a kid. I was drawing every single day of my life. I was painting, drawing, going to... Uh, I, I learned how to do comics and, and fine art and I actually prepared myself uh, towards that goal, even not knowing that it would come. I, I went to graphic design in the University of Buenos Aires. I was a teacher there as well as uh, teaching typography. And for some reason, I ended up um, you know, working for Disney. Actually, not for one reason. I worked with my dad. My father had a had a, an entertainment business, and he was working for Disney. I, I gave um, my support to some of the project, and Disney saw my work, and they uh, connected it. So that's why. And uh, so it was, yeah, it was a dream come true. Uh, a creator, a junior creator in Argentina working for, for the most amazing company, and I stayed almost forever, 22 years. Wow. I mean, that must have been incredible working for Disney. I'm sure, sure many, many amazing projects and 
team members and I'm sure something that that you're super proud of but Disney came and and went and you moved on and you've started Lalo. So I'm really intrigued actually by the name. I was umming and ahhing about how to pronounce it and obviously we've kind of cleared that up now but I was intrigued by by the name and how that started and and where that's kind of come from as well. Yeah I think it it has a kind of two hidden reasons. It's not part of uh, what I say or the story, but Lalo was the nickname I put to my grandfather uh, when I was a, a child, and he gave me my first computer, and with that computer I, I learned how to design, so it was kind of a homage to that uh, that story. Also, uh, Lalo has a hidden uh, Latam love as well, so I, I come from Latin America. I, I try to, how do you say, um, support and and help grow Latin American talent. Uh, so I, I advise companies in the world to hire designers, creators, agencies from from that, not just focusing on the local. So it's kind of a mixed thing. And also, I wanted a human name uh, for for my consultancy, and um, ended up with that. Amazing. Um, I love the name. It does. It does sound beautiful. I like that alliteration in it as well. It's it's very nice to say. So you work with startups predominantly. Is that right? Yeah, technology startups in an early stage. Yeah. Okay, technology startups. Now, startups, whether they're in technology or in another industry, I'm sure they often have similar struggles, especially when it comes to branding. Typically, then how without revealing too many of your secrets, of course, but how do you start to help a startup overcome some of some of the common struggles that they're facing when it comes to branding? When I joined Disney, I was already involved in what we used to call interactive design. So we were uh, designing CD-ROMs. I was also working on websites in the 90s. So it was a very, very early nascent uh, time for the digital world, which is now normal. Um, and when I joined Disney, I asked, where are the websites? And they almost asked, well, what is a website? So I, I ended up finding out that there was a Disney online division run out of uh, London and L.A. So I, I started collaborating with them to launch the first websites at Disney. I was responsible for uh, the creative marketing for the movies and uh, the movies were the first product that had a website and I launched the uh, the local Latin American websites uh, since then and for that I started to become the digital guy the online guy in the in the team in the company and that of course exploded and started to grow and I kind of became an entrepreneur, you know, a, 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 an executive within the company that started to build new businesses and learn new skills, build new different teams. I, I started hiring people with job descriptions that never existed for the company before. Uh, so like the typical community manager, that would, you know, now it's kind of a regular thing, but it was at the beginning was uh, was pretty weird. So I I started by myself as a one-person team, and I ended up leading hundreds of people across different markets, uh, accumulating revenue for hundreds of millions of dollars, building uh, B2B and B2C operations for Disney in the digital side, eight-figure businesses each, uh, serving a range of industries like advertising, marketing, uh, 
distribution of content, uh, you know, uh, mobile uh, uh, content as well. So many, many things. Um, so since the early 2000s, I, I was a digital guy uh, evolving and uh, developing an industry in a region that was, of course, you know, behind of, of the uh, developed regions. And I started interacting with uh, a lot of entrepreneurs my age, people, you know, uh, you know, 24, 23 years old, telling me, hey, I'm the CEO of that company. I was saying, what the hell, right? It was the dot-com times. Yeah. But I was always surrounded by entrepreneurs, uh, digital um, innovators, uh, investors, uh, you know, companies that were challenging the status quo. And Disney was a status quo company, television, retail, parks, you know, very ancient uh, ways of thinking. And we were trying to change that uh, in a way. So I was always there. And then, of course, after the years, I became the general manager of a Disney. I was a super executive with big teams, uh, uh, several levels in hierarchies. And I always knew that uh, when my journey ends with Disney, I would, I would definitely go back to entrepreneurship or, or become an entrepreneur or, or, or help entrepreneurs. I'm doing both. Uh, but I was always there. It's not something that, okay, I woke up one day and I say, okay, Inter you know, startups are a great opportunity. Let's go there, because I was always part of it in somehow. I found it really funny when you were talking about like asking about the websites and people saying, "What's what's that?" <laughs> you can't quite imagine that now with you know this digital age that we're in, websites and social media. It's just expected now. But there was a time when even Disney weren't putting it at the forefront in terms of, you know, pr promoting their films. I had an advantage, which was countries like Japan or the US or even in Europe uh, were a little bit ahead of Latin America. So I was learning how the company was doing things and I was trying to import yeah. those ideas into our region. So uh, so I guess that would that would be um, a lever that I that I had at hand to, to make it faster, you know, to convince more. Absolutely. So startups, CEO, 23-year-old CEOs, which has become more and more common, right? You used to see a CEO and imagine often a guy that's in his late 50s, early 60s, you know, that is not the face of a CEO anymore, which I think is is a good thing because it's, it's showing that anyone that's got passion, grit, a little bit of knowledge um, and determination can can build a business and can build a brand. So I'm guessing you've been in, you could call it the trenches <laughs> with some of these startups. Are there any real kind of nitty gritty examples of branding challenges that you faced that have really stood out to you? Yeah, let me say that, you know, statistically, uh, you know, the average uh, entrepreneur is around 42, 43, you know, historically. Okay. So, so that idea that entrepreneurs are young people, you know, just out of college or, or university or dropouts, uh, it's, of course, there's, there are plenty, but yeah. it's people like me, like old people uh, <laughs> or older, uh, doing, doing great stuff, challenge, challenging their, their own life and, and you know, uh, quitting their jobs, finding out ideas. And now we are surrounded by 
free distribution platforms, free tools to create, now artificial intelligence to do things for us easily. So it's easier than ever to actually do something new and, and really believe that you can do, that it's possible to, to change something that you believe that needs to be changed. I, I don't think there would have been ever a better time for being an entrepreneur like, like now. Yeah. Um, I posted the other day, there are like 600 million entrepreneurs right now in the world. 600 million. 600 million people running, wow. launching businesses right now. Yeah, it's, it's a stunning number. And, uh, and I work with dozens of them. So imagine the amount of, of, of reach that we can get. So to go back to your question, there are multiple things that I identified uh, over the years that, that make a startup fail or actually symptoms that could tell us that they are not doing the right things. And I call those collectively those symptoms uh, the zombie mode for a startup. Right? I've been talking about <laughs> that. Like, that. Like, like okay. you know, zombies, you know, they are yeah. like, like silent, slow, all, they all look the same, they're ugly, they can't express anything clearly, they can't feel or generate any feelings, they're hungry for blood or brains. Uh, so if, if we extrapolate that idea, you know, most startups these days look like zombies. You know, they don't know who they are, what they're saying. They don't know their customers enough. They talk to the air. They're not clear. They're very complex. They're boring in the way they come across and, and, and express their brands. Uh, even even within the company, they are they are siloed and, and not aligned. Uh, because I asked co-founders the same questions, and sometimes they they answer different things to the same question. So, uh, what can you expect to the rest of the team or even customers at the end of the day? Uh, they don't have a long-term vision. They are very short-term driven, living in tactic land. Uh, without knowing what those tactics are leading just because they are hurry they are in a hurry to to gain traction because they don't have enough money to survive for the next four course for the next 12 12 four, uh, months so there are many reasons why that leads to have those symptoms so i by identifying those putting them up front and on the table mm-hmm. and and because you only are going to start growing if you are realizing the truth. The truth is that you need to change some things, right? That's probably the, the starting point, accepting that you may be doing something wrong, that there may be better ways to do or think uh, the things you're doing or saying or thinking. So mm-hmm. I think that's the starting point. So important. You talked there about accepting <laughs> I talk about acceptance all the time that until you accept where you are or you accept, you know, the reality, you know, you talked about truth. Sometimes you need someone else to show you what that is. And then once you've accepted it and you're then prepared to do what's needed to make that change, to get you to where you want to go, whether that's in life or business, I think that's so important. And I think often we know what the reality is of where we are, which can sometimes be negative if we're not where we want to be, if we financially we're not where we want to be, if we're not sure on on who we're targeting and, and we don't have that vision. And no one wants to fail. No one wants to appear to be failing. 
And I think sometimes it can be difficult for entrepreneurs to admit those truths because it, it, it then reaffirms the fact that they're not there yet and that something needs to change in order for them to get there, which is difficult. I always say that I'm in the business of clarity and confidence. I'm not in the business of writing strategy. I, I have to write strategy, so I generate clarity and, and confidence. And the way I explain it is that strategic clarity leads to operational confidence. Because if you're strategically clear, you know who you are, what you need to uh, mean to people, uh, what do you need to say to mean that, what are the associations that you need to make, where do you need to say or do that, um, of course, who's your customer and all of that. Yeah. Uh, it, will, it will arm you with a lot of strength and confidence to make the right decisions, better decisions, more decisions, quicker, faster, more efficient, you know, reducing the friction, not only internally for you to do the things you do, but also the friction with your customers to understand that faster and, um, and make the choice. Because without choice, you don't have a business. So you, make it, you have to make it easier for your customers. You need to be clear for them. Uh, so they trust that your option, whatever you're offering, is, the different, is different enough from what you have. And sometimes the alternative, especially on B2B, the, alter the alternative is doing nothing. There's a study somewhere about B2B purchases. 65% uh, of uh, B2B purchases ended up in no decision. People not making any move because they got bored. It was too difficult. It's too risky. There's no clear outcome or, or return for the change. So they decide to stay the way it is. You know? mm -hmm. So, um, and, and that belie I believe that um, the cause for that is that we are not making it clear for them that the, uh, the progress that they can make with us, with our option, with our product, with our service, with our whatever, it's, it's, uh, it's what they need. Yeah. I think back to some of my, my clients and conversations that I've had and, and often because it's not their world, you know, they're, they're whatever business, whatever industry they're in, that's what they're, you know, they're good at. That's their speciality. When it comes to branding, it can be so hard to explain because often it feels like this intangible thing, which is why so many people focus on, as you said earlier, you know, the tactics, um, being reactive logos visuals because they're they're tangible things that they feel like they can there's something that's changed that they can see that's physical that's somehow measurable and branding is so much more than that have you had those kinds of conversations and and when you speak to business owners and, and ceos about that how do you overcome um that and how what actions do you think startups sh should should take when they're thinking about branding rather than just the, the tangible, tactical side of it? You know, when, when, a, when a startup is in an early stage, they are in a hurry, like they are, So they prioritize speed. They need to go fast to prove the model, to test it uh, quickly, to uh, the famous product market fit, uh, that they need to have a, some sort of a um, positive feeling that the business is, is, is going forward. And they, they deprioritize precision. They're on, a, they're on a rush. They can't 
look at the details and and that's why they rush into you know okay I need a website, whatever website it is. I need a logo. Let's do it. You know, not even talking about the name for the company, right? So they look at you know, on Instagram and okay, it's not taken. Let's do it, right? At some point in the journey, that order that of speed and precision flips because they are big enough. They have money and they have more competition. They need to be precise. They need to. They hire specialists. They build teams. Marketing, product marketing, sales, communications, PR, whatever, whatever specialties they think, and they deprioritize speed because they already have that traction. Brand strategy or having a strategy in general helps them maneuver the speed when they are on the speed and be more precise when they need it along the journey. That's why I always advise that whatever you call brand strategy, whatever we can do as early as possible. Let's do it because it's going to help you navigate that journey and combine that short-term drive that you need with the long-term perspective that you have to have in order to drive that short-term uh, decision-making all, all the time, right? Yeah. And it happens all the time. I see the faces. Yeah. When, I, when, I, when I meet with entrepreneurs or I start working with them, I talk about the next 10 years. Look, I come from Disney that is turning this week 100 years old. So wow. I, was, I was kind of educated to think about long term. Every year in the company, executives have to uh, tell the company financially how the company is going to look like in the next 5, 10 years and, and run some, num some numbers. Tell the, the, the executives, your boss, what are the ideas you have to, to drive the business forward? What are we going to do with Mickey? What are we going to do with Princess? What are we going to do with Star Wars in the next five years? So you look at the other divisions and the other businesses and you look at the industry and you learn how to do it. So you plan that long term. So I come with this mindset, right? And, and I try to explain that even if you have to think two years from now, which is too long for, for a company, that's long term. Let's put uh, long term in that uh, in, in that term, you know, and uh, in that way. Uh, but they get very scared. They, they get very scared about thinking, you know, talking long term or, or stop for doing. Uh, stop for thinking, sorry. You know, like, okay, yeah. why are you doing this? Or that? But why? What is it giving you? What is the result of that uh, campaign that you, you, you launched? I don't know. I need to be in Facebook ads or whatever. So I, I try to... In a way, I act like, you know, these airplanes that load fuel in, in the air, yeah. that, that they don't stop and they don't go, you know, they don't land, you know, to stop everything they do to, uh, to load the, the fuel. I, I, mm. I join them to ask the, these questions along the way so they don't get, they don't freak out. I suppose that's why it's so important for businesses to have this vision. Because if you haven't got that vision, how can you how can you think two, five, ten years ahead? Maybe that's one of the reasons, as you say, that that they they get scared and and are focusing on, oh, we need to be visible on social media. We need to run Facebook ads. We need to we we need a website because that sort of stuff. It's it's very very short term, and reactive and and for the now. But let me tell you uh, about reaction. I admire the power of reaction that most entrepreneurs have. Because I, I come from corporate spaces where we take ages to make a decision. Because you talk to someone, you negotiate with that, you have to 
be politicizing decisions and then maybe you end up doing nothing because you are you, you get stuck into uh, the intricate communicational uh, woods of, of a company. Now, uh, working with entrepreneurs, I get amazed by uh, having a conversation or, or a breakthrough in a session. I said, wait, stop. They, they grab their phone, call someone, and they change business models or a website in an hour and they make it and they react quickly and they and that's what I love about working with entrepreneurs because it's it's like that yeah I suppose there is that flip side which is rather than doing nothing you know if you if you're not doing anything you're not progressing doing something is always better than doing nothing it's about having this balance isn't it with with being reactive and implementing things immediately along with having a plan, having a strategy for for now as well as the long term as well. And and that can often be around looking at the numbers, as you say. And I imagine, imagine a lot of startups are on a tight budget. Unless you have yeah. billions of dollars or hundreds of millions or even millions, you can't rush brand. Mm. Um, because there are companies that are hundreds of years old or dozens of years old or even 40 years old like Apple or Google uh, these companies invest billions of dollars every single year, hundreds of millions every month, uh, uh, to be there for people, to mean something to to their customers and and overall. They have hundreds of thousands of poly, um, of human connections in the in the B two B side to make them more relevant all the time. So if you're starting your company, unless you have all that power. You have to trust time. You have to do consistent things year over year in order to, to establish your business as a brand, to become a name in your category or your market. Learn new things. Pivot a couple of times and find your right differentiation or your place. But that's something that is very difficult to, to, to explain uh, because it requires a little bit of patience. Most people listening aren't aren't in the position of Disney or Apple and don't have hundreds of millions or billions to to invest into branding but but maybe they have something and maybe they care really care about branding and they understand the impact and they want to invest but they don't know where to start what would you say is is one of the the single most impactful investments that they they could make that would give them the term best best bang for their book comes to mind before uh, being at disney i was a typography teacher so i i, I got for 10 years i i helped uh, design gra uh, graphic design students to to learn ty the typography you know world then at disney i became kind of an evangelist um you know in the company you know, pushing the digital conversation in a world that was very analog so i i have a track record i guess not, not track record, a, a trajectory of trying to teach things, trying to share my knowledge, trying to convince others uh, to open their minds. And one of the things that I try to uh, to make um, technology entrepreneurs understand is that they, at a certain point, they have to move away from being product-led to brand-led. And for that, they need a brand mindset. And I talk about brand mindset a lot. It's, it's the the way you think about your business as a brand, the decisions you make towards building a brand. Um, so I believe that has to do with 
having abstract thinking or critical thinking and it's not about money or investments uh, in, in mm-hmm. tangible things because all of that will come but you need to have that that mindset shift that that makes you more powerful so when when you see people like us you and me talking about apple or disney or mm-hmm. starbucks or salesforce or uh, i don't know shopify or these huge juggernauts of a brand or a company you need to abstract yourself of the billion dollars examples and try to learn something about that because they've been doing it for years so there's something there that you can learn from them and i also uh, always make this point with b2b versus b2c conversation you know b2c brands whatever consumer uh whether if it's electronic services products packaged uh, whatever retail They've been doing this for hundreds of years. So they have an advantage. They, be, they, you know, they, they have experience. So B2B needs to learn from B2C brand. They, they, you know, and they t- have this tendency to say, no, I'm different. I'm B2B, that's B2C. But behind that, everything is the same. The strategy, the business, the distribution, the model, the team building, decision making, leadership, competition, you know, all of that. Of course, your product is different. Of course, the customer might be different. The decision making one side or the other might vary or that. But we are humans doing stuff for humans. And yeah. that's the essence behind. I, I say that quite a lot, actually, that people often try and distinguish, especially if they're the only person in, in their business at the time, they they have this battle with well it's it's just me so do I focus on my personal brand or or should I be focusing on the business brand or and they're trying to separate the two and I always say well when people buy at the moment your your product or service they're buying into you you know they know you they like you they trust you there's a connection there this this product they could they could get from from any other organization you know any other business but there's something um about you whether it's whether it's your story or how you've grown the business or whatever there'll be something that they've connected with and so ultimately uh, i think it's about using that as a point of difference i think a lot of people go well i'm i'm the same you know I'm I'm business A and I'm selling I don't know trainers and they're selling trainers too. But your own personal experience, where where you've grown up, you know how you've lived your life, will all have an impact on on your business and how you showcase that to, to the world. And I think that's the thing that makes businesses different. Of of course, it depends on the business you are and the type of company you're building. But uh, I think the uh, impact that the entrepreneur can have uh, in the in the brand in uh, in the influence your company can can have it's important sometimes it is um, you have examples Elon Musk opens his mouth and stock <laughs> stock prices go up or down companies yeah. fall companies you know right uh, yeah. or, or even looking at Apple the biggest company in the history of humankind and the CEO has most, most, more followers than the actual brand on Twitter, yeah. right? So Tim yeah. Cook has more followers than Apple, right? So people yeah. want to connect with human beings, see yeah. the backstage, uh, how things are doing, listening to actual humans, not just, not just marketing messages. Yeah. Um, so 
um, I often have this conversation. Okay, what are you going to do as a human to support your brand, to add value to the company and adhere? Because some businesses can, can operate community-led. You can talk to your audiences, right? To your community, to your uh, followhood, whatever you call it, and ask things to them, have a conversation with them, learn from them, and then you, you know, bring that learning, that insight towards the product and then launch whatever they have a conversation with you. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, humans, human always be human first. Emotional connection, that's, that's key. Disney obviously have been amazing at doing that through, through their storytelling as humans, we, we love stories, right? We, we absolutely love it and, and, and we lap it up. And when we see ourselves in, in a story as well, that's when we, we start to resonate with it even more. And I think sometimes businesses can be afraid to to tell their story because they're worried about um, how personal, how much of their person, how much of themselves they share and... and and I think sometimes they can be worried about being vulnerable, which is understandable to a degree. But I think it's it's up to the, the individual how much they do or don't share. Do you know, can you think of any any brands or organisations that have had really amazing stories and that have really connected connected on that emotional level? and had had a real impact anything that's kind of really resonated with you or or stayed with you the the example that comes to my mind right now uh, is not rocket science and it's how salesforce uh, learned how to make a super boring uh, technical conversation be more fun and engaging with their mascots and their characters if you look at if you if you don't know what salesforce is where are you but but go to salesforce website and you will see these characters and each character is has a background story connected to the type of solution they offer to each customer or each industry and they've been using these characters to create something in our brains and our minds to to connect emotionally a little bit right then these mascots are kind of a family and sometimes they are together uh, i'm i'm not expecting salesforce to launch cartoons and tv series and movies about this because they are not in the business of entertainment yet but i think that helped somehow and probably you can ask salesforce how they are um, leveraging this what's the return on these characters but i believe that they're making uh, something that is very technical, very complex, and very boring sometimes, mm. more appealing, more emotional, and uh, more fun through these mascots, like, I believe. And that's a great B2B example that I always use. I'd love to have a look at that. I mean, obviously, I know what Salesforce is, but... They even have a page where they explain the name of the character, the story, why that character is connected to that line of business. Uh, and I, I find it fascinating. I'll have to have a look at that. Talking of stories, actually, Ezekiel, I meant to ask you this at the start. What's your favourite Disney movie? I have moments uh, where where some stories marked uh, my future and, and seeing Lion King for the first time uh, and then Aladdin, that time of Disney where they reimagine animation. It was a particular moment in the history of the company in the 90s uh, when, when I 
I truly connected to to the way they animated the color criteria of those movies was something completely different from what we were used to. You know, a lot of flat uh, 2D animation, you know, anime or American, whatever. But it was kind of uh, low quality, I would say. And Disney reinvented animation with that depth and, and that profound um, connection with the audience. You know, there are certain moments of those movies that were amazing. And I think that that, that made something in my brain Mm-hmm. that I wanted to to keep going and, and do that. I believe that mm-hmm. that's one relationship with the movies I get. Yeah. Of course, my favorite character is Mickey. For those of you um, listening and not watching, his equal studio is amazing. He's got Mickey Mouse in the background. He's got, I think I can see some figurines. I can see the Hulk, um, potentially Captain America. And so Disney are going to be turning... Did you say 100 this year? Yeah, turned October 16th, 100 years old. Wow, incredible. And what a legacy and what a journey. And it again, it just goes to show, you know, when we go back to Walt Disney and, and his passion for storytelling and, and animation and, and having a dream and, and consistently... I think following that and and sharing these amazing stories with the world and continuing to to innovate and um and bring people together as well. I think it's it's an amazing example of of a brand like you say that's really up there that's just consistently done the right things well. But obviously there's the flip side of brands that maybe don't get that right um and make mistakes and have crashed and burnt. What things would you say are the the kind of top things to avoid, to not do in order to make sure you're still around and not and not and not kind of end up with a bit of a, a branding disaster? If I have to choose one big idea is extraordinary executions. Like demand excellence in everything you do. And uh, that's something that by osmosis, I guess I, I I I learned over the years, being for more than two decades in, you know, participating in more than seventy different industries, trying to tell stories, trying to create product building experiences, giving an extra mile to everything you do uh, will definitely make a difference. Um, quality, you know, quality of the experience, quality in the communications, quality on the on your onboarding, quality on, uh, of course, the product, quality on the relationships, you know. I think that's that's amazing. And, and I've, you know, in every business um, I've been, uh, I, I learned how to identify where, where the, what that means for that business, what is quality for a park uh, and what is quality for a movie. Um, you know, every single um, movie or, or animated product had... 24 frames per second and Disney used to put 25 frames per second to make animation smoother that extra frame was extra work from animations that was extra production budget it was extra time to edit and all of that you know across the whole movie so so but that extra imprinted a little bit of the magic that we had you know we um we feel that that company like like Disney does because they do things different, really. 
they don't they don't settle well sometimes but they don't settle yeah. for yeah. average for for mediocre ideas they turn for that and that's why when when disney doesn't go further and and, and elevate the the quality bar that's why why disney is criticized is we expect the best from this company and when the company when the movie or or whatever experience they launch is say six seven points out of ten which is good enough for disney is not enough right yeah. so that and I, I believe that if you do things right you are going to accustom your customers and your users or or people to that level of trust and expectations i think that's such a good point and when you said that i started my mind went to apple and when apple kind of started slacking with their when they launched new phones and there wasn't much of a difference <laughs> and people started people started talking about it like oh yeah the new phones come out but i can't quite tell what's actually better like they're not being as innovative anymore what's changed okay maybe the camera's a little bit better and that's the thing once you set the bar high once you set this expect expectation of excellence of quality of doing things better and doing things well people expect that so you have to then maintain it well you know quality might mean different from different companies you know i, I believe quality at, at apple is simplicity the more the simpler they go the more quality the product is received as opposed to i don't know amazon the more complex it is the more value we get because we have more options more filters yeah. and more more comparison and, and, and I believe it's more value in the experience, right? More on kind of a dashboard for shopping. Uh, and that's quality experience as well. They think of everything I can need, you know, to make the best research and, and, and purchase. And it's more complex is good. I don't know if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I do. It's, it's whatever it is that they're known for doing well, whether that's simplicity, whether that's having lots of options, as long as a company continues to do that consistently, that's what that's what will keep customers happy. But one thing I want to say on the record, having no budget or lack of resources is not excuse for not pursuing greater quality. Quality means, again, the story you tell, how you say things, how you look. If your website looks crappy, it's not because you don't have money, but because you didn't figure out how to do it right. It's not because you didn't have time. It's because you didn't invest time in doing your website a better experience for your customers, right? Maybe you copied someone, you downloaded a template to make it faster, and you did it and you left it there. So you need to be intentional to the experience you create and doing it consistently is going to help you build a brand. If you build a brand, you're going to be able to tangibilize your legacy. For the record, I like that. <laughs> so before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask, um, you've been working with startups for a while now, and I just wanted to know what what keeps you fired up in terms of working with startups with their branding after, after all this time? Um, what is it about them? that keeps you keeps you pushing forward and and wanting to continue to to help them and support them well there are many many reasons you know entrepreneurs um, are always finding new solutions to problems we know or we didn't know we had 
they create value to this world. They are not trying to extract it per se. They create jobs, right? And, and resources. And they fuel economies, entire economies, uh, that create a menace to mainstream you know, industries and, and players. Uh, but the most thing, the thing that energizes the most uh, while working with with, um, with entrepreneurs is the breakthrough phase. When we are having a conversation and they, they say, oh, right, that phase makes my day. And that pays off um, for me when, you know, all the preparation, all the, um, all the facilitation, whatever I, ha I do as a consultant or as an advisor, uh, you know, it's, it, it is so satisfying to see that they clicked a little bit. Uh, so that means that we are making progress. Yeah. That's what, what fills me in. That is lovely. That's lovely. I was going to ask you another question, but I feel like that's a nice, I feel like that's an, brought us to a nice end. So I'm, I'm going to leave it, leave it there. It feels, it feels right. But Ezekiel, Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a fantastic conversation. Um, appreciate you sharing your story and your insights. And um, yeah, I look forward to seeing what you and, and Lalo do over over the um, the next five, ten. You've probably planned your next 20 years, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> ten for sure. <laughs> for sure um, so yeah thank you so much for being here today thanks for inviting me I, would, I really enjoyed the conversation and the question and um, it was easy to answer I guess uh, so thanks for for the time you're welcome very very welcome thank you for listening to Build Better Brands I am so grateful to have you tuning into the show and I'd love to thank you personally so Wherever you are in the world, remember to tag at Danielle Clark Creative in your social media posts and stories. Let us know when you're listening. We want to know what you've enjoyed about the show and give you a shout out. And if you would like to help more people like you discover the show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. It's going to help us rank higher and reach more listeners. It's also a great way for us to help you with the problems your brand might be facing. Suggest a topic in your review and we might feature it and you in one of our episodes. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. <laughs>